Welcome to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host Mason S. With me as always is Travis K. This podcast is not meant to replace meeting, sponsorship, step work, or service. This is meant to be just another tool in your recovery toolbox. Our guests are here to share their experience, strength, and hope with recovery through Narcotics Anonymous. Thank you for joining us. All right, welcome back to the Living Clean Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mason S. I'm an addict, and I've been waiting to say this for a long time. Joining me tonight is my co-host, Travis K. Welcome back, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and our guest tonight is Miss Amanda H. Um, We are... On the seventh part of our series, breaking down each of the 12 steps, tonight is obviously step seven, and um, we will start with um, Amanda and have her tell us her clean date and where she attends meetings. Hey, y'all. My name is Amanda, and I'm an addict, and my clean date is May 21st of 2008. And um, I am from Memphis, Tennessee, and my home group is something different. And what else? Oh, that's it. Wonderful. Okay. Um, so tell us about the recovery scene in Memphis. How is it? So, um, COVID kind of did a number on us, so it's kind of spread out. Um, but if you want to find recovery, you can find recovery. Just like if you want to find dope, you can find some dope. And so, um, uh, we have a pretty good, uh, Narcotics Anonymous, um, following and, um, there's a pretty big fellowship. Again, it's kind of spread out, um, all the way from, Covington um it's I mean it's a pretty good like 50 60 mile you know spread out um but you know it's pretty much the West Tennessee area but you know we're kind of on that line with Arkansas on one side Mississippi on the other so um we do a lot of asphalt recovery too so um I don't know it's for me uh it's pretty hopping it's working pretty good huh it's working good for me yeah well we can't thank you enough for coming on here and doing this we're extremely grateful that you take some time out of your day and come on here and do this with us um before we get started into step seven let's let the people that are listening get to know you a little bit um if you want to kind of walk us through like how you found na and you know how it's been since you got here sure um so I always, you know, I always say that I'm not a speaker. Like I hate to fucking talk. Like I love like dealing with people one-on-one because um, that's where my jam is. So I'm probably going to talk out my ass, but um, that's okay because, you know, I'm sure I'm going to hear y'all talk out your ass at some point too. So that's okay. That's just how the nature of the beast. Yeah. So I can tell you that, um, all my life, I have felt that I wasn't a part of. I'm the only girl um, in my family, and 
Um, I have three older brothers and my parents taught me at a very young age that uh, I was different than my brothers. And um, my brothers had a different set of rules than I had. And we also uh, were raised in an extremely uh, religious um, sect or cult or whatever you want to call it to me. Uh, looking back, um, I'll just say religion. Um, but, um, and I say that kind of loosely because I do believe that on this side of it, that my parents felt that they were doing the best that they could uh, with what they knew. Um, but what their, their actions inside the home didn't match outside of the home. And so I was very confused on um, what the God of their understanding and what I was supposed to do was. And I was taught kind of this old school mentality of, um, you know, girls will be girls and boys will be boys. So a lot of things got, um, I was taught very early on, um, that you keep secret things secret. And, um, so, um, my mom kind of ingrained in me, um, very early on, even I remember back as, as early back as like kindergarten that I was in competition with girls. And I mean, I've been like overweight my whole life. Um, I think I've been on a diet since I was in kindergarten. So, um, I've always had like issues with weight and, um, with my body and other people's perception of me. So, um, I don't know, like I never ever felt like I was okay or good enough or, um, like I mattered, like my voice was never heard. I was always told I was too much or not enough or, um, man. So, you know, always talking about this kind of stuff always, always brings up those feelings. And um, you guys just taught me to feel them. So, you know, I'm probably going to cry because that's what I do. So, um, you know, spending a lifetime of feeling like you're not enough um, will cause you to go outside of yourself to feel that void. And when you feel like you're not getting it from the people that are supposed to be the ones that have your back, no matter what, um, it's a lonely, lonely, lonely place. And I have been lonely my whole little life. And um, so I felt abandoned by my family, abandoned by their God. And uh so I did whatever I could do to fill that void. And that was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I started using and abusing and, um, you know, for a long time through junior high, through high school, it was abuse until the day I woke up and it, you know, controlled me. And um, through all of that came, um, uh, a family and man in that family uh, I had a husband who came down with terminal brain cancer, two children in that family 
and the, the only two children I have. And um, that was at the cusp of my, the most of my active addiction. And we were living in Evansville, Indiana. And uh, that was when I was probably at my worst. And at, by this time, I'd had about five different surgeries myself. And by then, I was really into uh, on the other side of the Dr. Dope because the Dr. Dope wasn't enough anymore. And so um, I was doing whatever I could do. So um, by now I have this terminally ill husband who is on some really, really, really good stuff. And so I took his shit and gave him fake shit. So while he's dying, I'm giving him fake shit so I can take his shit. And um, that was probably... uh, at my lowest. And um, I ended up, uh, all of the consequences started, uh, man, snowballing, you know, the cars got repossessed. Well, the car, uh, he wasn't able to drive. Uh, Utilities are getting shut off. So as I'm losing jobs and all of, I know that I need to get out of it, but I don't know how to get out of it. I don't have any friends. I don't have any, I don't know what to do. I didn't know anything about Narcotics Anonymous. I didn't know anything about recovery. I didn't know anything about anything except what I was doing wasn't working. And the only thing I knew to do was um, I called my brother who was in active addiction and um, I knew he would rat me out to my parents because I didn't have enough courage to rat myself out to my parents. I called him because I knew he'd be a little bitch and he would call my parents. And that's exactly what he did. And so my mom, for the first time in my life, um, and I don't know if this is how it went down, but this is how I took it. Uh, The next day she called me and in the most loving way, she said, I don't understand, but I'm on my way and I love you. And that's how, that's the story I tell myself. And the next day she showed up and they gathered what they could. And by that time, uh, my husband and my kids uh, had left and, um, I had some financial issues going on with the courts and um, the judge there had said that suggested Narcotics Anonymous meetings and my mom being extremely green in this didn't understand, but she heard the judge say that. So she held me to it. So as soon as we moved to um, as soon as she brought me back to Memphis, uh, that was May 18th um, of 2008. We found Narcotics Anonymous by any ways, means, looked it up. I can't even remember how. And by then, um, I had started a maintenance program um, October before this. Uh, So I'd been on that maintenance program about six months. So I'm like squirrely because I don't know if you have any um, like uh, experience with the maintenance meds, but like I'm in a fog like I'm in a fog. And so if anybody's listening to this, you're going to be listening to this. That's in a maintenance program. Like I'm glad that you're here. Keep coming back. But man, there's a life on the fucking other side of that maintenance program. There is a life so far beyond that maintenance program. And so um, by the time I got to Narcotics Anonymous, man, my fucking life changed. And um, yeah, that was May 18th of 2008. And my last dose was 
on the 20th and my clean date's the 21st baby yeah i can relate to that yeah uh well i got a question for you man before we get into the the seventh step yeah um, and i hear women talk about this so very much is about the competition and you was talking about that at a very early age mm -hmm. from when you walked into the rooms in 2008 how long did it take for you to feel like that you wasn't in competition anymore? I still struggle with that today. Um, I'm a lot better with it. Um, and it took me four years to follow some of the suggestions that had to do with women uh, from my sponsor. And it took me becoming miserable clean in order to really follow those suggestions with my sponsor. And by, and I don't, I mean, I don't know, like the worst feeling I've ever felt is clean and miserable. Mm. Yeah. No way. And I'm going to tell you something like I went to a re women's retreat in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, because I didn't want to deal with the women in Memphis because fuck them. So <laughs> I was willing to go like a couple of States over and okay, so I was willing to do that. So I went a couple states over and I, I committed to my sponsor that I was willing to do that. So I went there, didn't know anybody but one person. And I get there and I see the itinerary and on the itinerary is this little circle of trust. And I was like, what's that? And I asked somebody and they explain what it is. And I'm like, what? It's this hugging exercise. And I'm like, holy shit. They got me in the woods doing some kumbaya, kumbaya bullshit. I call my sponsor and I'm like, I dips. Like I'm staying in my room. And she was like, well, I just want to remind you that, you know, you have a choice today, but you did commit. And I'm like, man, fuck you. I hung up the phone and, you know, like I said, this is four years. And by the end, like I, that, I had that conscience that had been awoken, you know, by working some of the steps. And so I was like, okay. So I did it and I did it like madly, but I did it. And y'all, man, nah, that was my first spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. My first like, tears rolling down my face, not bubbles, like my soul returned to my body. Like that is what I have been searching for my entire life was a connection to these motherfucking women. That's what I've been searching for. Mm. And I had no idea, but my higher power did. Mm. That's good stuff. And I, I think it's interesting too, because obviously from that point on, you have taken that with you because anybody that knows Amanda H knows that she gives the absolute best hugs ever. And, um, yeah. And I, and I'm grateful for that too. Cause I, everybody that talks about you talks about, they can feel something spiritual whenever you wrap your arms around them and really hug them, you know? And I think, um, for me, I know the hugs were really uncomfortable when I first got here. You know, the side hug. Hey, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. But the side hug. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. uh, <laughs> but yeah, there is something very powerful when another human being um wraps their arms around you and really means it. You know, there's nothing like it. And that connection is 
you know, something that I'd long for too. You know, I relate to you totally, you know, feeling the abandonment inside my own home. And, you know, you, it's really hard to trust anybody when the people closest to you have, you felt like are the ones that turned their back on you. So, you know, I'm glad we both found it uh, for sure. Right. Um, what about so, those hugs whenever they grab you up and you're like, oh, is this guy going to let me go or what, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, so let's talk about since 2008, the, the journey through, through recovery and through the steps and all that. Um, what's some of the ups and downs that you've had since you've been clean? Um, there have been moments where, um, man, like I hear people talk about the pink cloud and I'm like, fuck y'all, this shit's been hard from day one. And, um, and then I have moments where I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. And then I have moments where I think, am I going to do this for the rest of my life? Is this what my life is? Um, and what I've learned, man, is, man, there's an ebb and a flow to it. And if I just hold on, that feeling's going to change, no matter what it is, the good, the bad. And I guess that's the thing is, like, we are so used, or I am so used to, like, numbing a feeling that, like, I have, like, fucked up my, how I feel. So, like to feel joy, it's awkward for me. Uh, to feel success is awkward for me. Um, even though I've got 15 years clean, to feel those feelings is unnatural for an addict. And so it's just going to take a minute to, I don't know, to... And that's part of what, you know, and we'll get into that in the yeah. seventh step. That's that's just part of like the balance. We're walking a tightrope and that that is what we do. And sometimes it's it's easy and and sometimes I'm holding on for dear life. And sometimes I've got to hold on to you and you have to hold on for me because yeah. I can't hold on any longer. Yep. Do you feel like you struggle with things like uh, when somebody compliments you or, or talks good about you, too? Because I feel I, that is very awkward for me. Uh, it was until my sponsor said, say thank you and shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. all you got to do. Just say thank you. Yeah. It's and shut the fuck up. You have to say. <laughs> and, I t and so I still tell myself that because I used to would say if somebody would say something, Oh, I like your hair. I would have to say something back like, Oh, well, I like yours too. Or woo, woo, woo. Yeah. No, I, don't, I don't have to. I mean, I can still, but I can just say, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Those are some hard words to spit out sometimes though, just to say thank you and move on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you got to say something back to them. Like, Oh, I, I owe this person. Oh, but what you can just say is, I really appreciate that, or I needed to yeah. hear that. Yeah. You know, I think I'm still to this day trying to feel like I'm worthy of the life that I've got now. You know, um, it's a lot better than it used to be, but 
you know, I th- you still struggle with those things from time to time. Or sure. I do. Yeah. I have it tattooed on me. Worthy and enough. Worthy and enough. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's transition on into, um, step number seven. And look, I know that it's really hard to talk about seven and not mention six or any of the other steps. So if you want to mention some of those two, it's, a, it's completely okay. Um, but yeah, we'll, um, we'll let you dive in and tell us what you got for us on step seven and then we'll have a back and forth. Okay. Well, I have to admit when you first told me about step seven, I was like, well, fuck. Cause this one sucks. Like <laughs> it's not the fun one. It's not the, you know, I don't know. It's not the most talked about one, but let me tell you. This one is the meat and the potatoes for me. Mm. Like this is the balance. So when I got to like diving into everything, like, you know, when I got to talking to my higher power, I was just like, well, damn, this is the one. Well, for one, it's the one I've been working on the past year. And so I'm like, okay, I see what you did there, buddy. And so like, I'm always telling my girls, like, you know, God's no more going to come down and fix your breakfast than he is going to come down and send you a man or, or whatever. And so, like, that's the whole thing with, you know, our higher power. Like, nothing's just going to be, like, handed to you. And so, humility. Like, I have to, and even when I first got to Narcotics Anonymous, I I still do it, too. I have to, like... um look up words and and so i heard uh a meaning of uh humility that stuck with me and i have to write it down because i always say it wrong but it's not looking at myself as less but looking at myself less yes and so that has like um always I don't know. It's like, I feel like, I mean, I just keep coming back to that word balance. It's about like knowing, knowing that I have uh, issues with, you know, character defects. Like for example, you know, one of my character defects is being dishonest. And, um, uh, I mean, for, for example, it took me eight years to get honest with Mike about uh, a financial issue that was going on eight years to get honest. And that's like, Uh, And that's not saying that I didn't have a relationship with a higher power or wasn't doing, you know, things on a daily for my recovery. That's saying like, I heard Kevin's podcast on step six and he was talking about uh, how he has some character defects that won't allow or doesn't, some of his character defects won't allow him to see other character defects. Yes. And I thought, ooh, buddy. <laughs> well, it's not so much that that's necessarily sometimes like I deny or avoid or like stuff in it. I compartmentalize because it's not as bad as it used to be. So it's it's really not hurting anything or 
And so like for me, like coming to my higher power and asking him for one, I've already set up this relationship with my higher power. We're right in the middle of the steps, right? So up and, you know, steps one through six set me up to have this relationship with a higher power. So I've already seen what I've already seen evidence of my life getting better. I've already seen the lives of other people around me get better. So my faith, my trust, my hope, all of those things are evidence. So I see that things are getting better. I feel better. I look better. So uh, it's a little bit easier um, to come to my higher power and say, okay, so I'm aware. And as long as I keep that connection with the higher power, I can say, all right, so I'm having an issue that I'm aware that dishonesty is my issue. So um, can you please help me not act out on it today? And so here's the thing for me. I know that dishonesty is always going to be a part of me, just like, uh, you know, me being an addict is always going to be a part of me, but I may not act out on it today. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I may go a month and not act out on it. And that's, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But the thing is for me, like, um, and there was, there was times like, you know, I would be dishonest and I would catch myself and I would, I would say something in that moment. Like I just lied and I didn't have to. And so that was like, in that moment, I could tell like my higher power is removing it. Yeah. But it's not like God's coming down and fixing my fucking breakfast and then it's all over. You know what I mean? It's not like this magical moment where, ta-da, it's gone. Yeah. You mentioned from the start was humility. And I remember reading in step seven and I've got it right here. And it says humility is as much as part of staying clean as food and water is to staying alive. I said, well, I could have done without that. Yeah, when I first right, but yeah, and just speaking on that too, out of on it works out why it says an attitude of it of humility means that we have a realistic view of ourselves and our place in the world, right? You know, um, I, I'm totally with you that these defects are with us, just like uh, the disease is, and um, you know, the thing is we can get better and thank God when we do act out on them, we have a conscience today. And, and I think, uh, I think that conscience for me, this is for me personally, it's when I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, it's connected to that higher power. And, um, you know, that is what I feel like God intervening when I feel the shame or the guilt from acting out on those ways. And, you know, that's the motivation to change. You know, it sucks telling somebody, I just lied to you. For sure. You know, <laughs> I just told you a bold faced lie and I don't even know why in the f- I didn't have to lie. You know, it's um sure. you know, the pain of that is is you know, big time motivation not to do it. For sure. Yeah, so I wanna ask you, um, I've always heard that the difference between a uh, character defect and a shortcoming is like the character defect is like the flat tire and the shortcomings driving the car. Anyway, do you feel similar on that or do you have a different understanding or. So I've heard that analogy too. And 
Um, our literature talks about the seventh step being an action step. So yes, yeah. I do agree with the shortcoming being driving on it because that's an action step. That's an action. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, the only thing like with the character defect, sometimes I don't, I, you know, we don't necessarily know it's even there until we do the shortcoming and we yeah. show right. it off. But if we're aware of the character defect, somebody can see that flat tire. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, if we're right. aware of the character defect, we definitely don't have to drive on it and we don't have to show it off either. Right. Or putting ourselves in situations where we're more prone to act on that character defect. Um, right. You know, that's, uh, that's been a big thing to, for me too. It, it seems like my environment plays a big part on that, but you know, that brings about challenges. Like sometimes, my character defects come out more at home and I can't really avoid home, you know? Uh, right. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I've found that, you know, my environment plays a big part on a lot of those things. So, um, finding I, healthy ways to deal with that. I can huh? actually tell you about a shortcoming, you know, that my wife showed me that I was, uh, that I had for sure was trying to tell her how to drive to Knoxville yesterday <laughs> and she can go into all that but you know it's like you've got this this whole mentality of how you do a certain thing and if you see somebody else doing it a different way you think they're wrong and you know it's i can make my shortcoming very aware of people mm -hmm. real quick because i think i've got the right answer right what is it with men and driving i just need to know because if Mike Harvey and I ever get divorced, it's because I'm directionally challenged and he told me to turn right one too many times. Oh, man. Oh, don't be in a hammer lane. Yeah. 60 mile an hour. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And when you got somebody that drives for a living, that's even worse, you know, because he feels Ooh. like, he's, yeah, he's an expert. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But Mason, oh. you brought up a good point. Because, you know, that's something I've been working on because, you know, I've spent a, a like the last, you know, dozen years, like building this network of women. And, um, man, I've poured so much of myself into them. And, you know, I it's you know, it's a balancing act with, you know, my family and my parents. And, you know, I've built this relationship back with my with my parents or I've built a new relationship with my parents, I should yeah. say. And, you know, and then I've got my husband and uh, what I had learned over the last couple of years is I am short fused with like my kids and with my husband. And, you know, that's that's because I know they love me and they're going to forgive yeah. me and things like that. But at the end of the day, my spouse and my kids deserve the best of me. And you guys should be getting what's left over. But right. they deserve the best of me. And so that's what I've been trying to do this last year is, is focus on, you know, kind of redirecting, re, you know, that and you know, work on my higher, work on that with my higher power. 
are you uh have you found that you're more forgiving of your mistakes when you make one now or are you oh, still cool. yeah 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 and i think that's part of step seven too is is understanding our own humanness and that yeah. uh you know mistakes are not necessarily the end of the world sometimes they're the greatest blessings that we get because without those mistakes we would never know that we needed to change right you know so um, well, and it helps to mistakes, see that you a lot of the mistakes that's happened in the world is what we use every day because it was a, a fluke that they actually discovered or whatever we're using you know for real uh, it's it's sometimes mistakes is uh what's the word i'm looking for um uh, ironic or uh Caramel was a mistake, just so you know. No doubt. Yes. No doubt. Um, I'll tell you a big mistake that I know about uh, is when they invented uh, heroin to get people off of morphine. <laughs> and buy it in Sears and Roebuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no, no, no. It was cocaine to get people off of heroin, right? And then, uh, And then the lady who the doctor ran the trial on said, yeah, this cocaine has made me think about, I haven't thought about heroin in two weeks. I'll, I'll take two more pounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. That was in the history of NA's, uh, uh, presentation at the convention. But anyways, so one more thing I want to ask you about on this step seven is I know, um, I know recently, you know, the past year or so has been, you know, you've had some difficult times at home and did you find, uh, yourself having to really try to do everything that you could to keep your own cup full to be able to, you know, um, you know, make it through that. And did you notice some new character defects or, you know, um, and then also how do you feel like you made it through all of that? Ooh, that's a loaded question. Yeah. Uh, so I can tell you that the desire to use came back this year for the first time in 15 years. And um, ooh, it hit hard. And um, that's scary. And I can tell you that... Uh, I'm so grateful that um, my higher power had built this uh, like fellowship of women and men, but specifically women around me that uh, there were moments where I couldn't even speak that they mm -hmm. just knew. And um there, there were a lot of moments that um, I didn't even have to speak. They just showed up. And, um, man, um, that's the power of Narcotics Anonymous for me. And I have no doubt, like, um, for one, that uh, I'm still clean today because of Narcotics Anonymous and the fellowship and the women in this program. And um, because, you know, the higher the point, the broader the pace, the higher the point of 
freedom. And so wow. I'm so grateful that I, I had a large base of people that, that man just did not, they were fucking relentless. Like I was not able to, uh, man, I was able to rest peacefully, but was not able to be alone at any moment. And, um, that's saying something. So, um, now as far as character defects, hell yeah. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know necessarily about new character defects. Um, but I was definitely, uh, like some insecurities came back. Um, just because, you know, there were some things that, you know, occurred through this last year that, you know, kind of dinged my spirit. So, um, man, sometimes, you know, relationships are just hard and it doesn't matter what you do or say, um, It's funny that we're talking about, you know, we, we talked about these character defects and, you know, having a connection with the higher power and, you know, relapse isn't a part of my story, uh, but I also don't take for granted that it can become a part of my story. And so I have a very healthy fear of relapse. Uh, and I have a very healthy fear of the disease of addiction. And so I keep coming back because I don't fucking want to die. And um, so I keep coming back because, you know, that's what y'all told me to do in order to give away what you guys fucking gave me. And so um, I keep coming back because, you know, what's that Spider-Man quote with power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you guys told me that's what I'm supposed to do. And so, um, man, so if I don't do these things, I feel myself get swirly. So I feel, feel those little lies start creeping back in. And so I feel that dishonesty start creeping back up and I feel like my attendance starts slipping. And so like at what point, and there was some times during this last year where I hadn't gone to a meeting or I hadn't called my sponsor. And um, so at what point um, would the next option have been to get high? And so that's just not a risk I'm willing to take. So um, I don't want to know what that combination is. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's, you know, like I, I'm glad that you shared that Amanda about, you know, thinking about using with 15 years clean, because I know when I first came into the rooms and I heard that somebody had, you know, 20, 25 30 years i was like you know you almost look at them as like my god they could never ever go back and something that i read in the living clean actually that really uh kind of popped that bubble for me was you know when we start to look at an old timer as an icon we start to rob them of the recovery that they so desperately needed as well you yeah know, and it's uh it's um I remember something Mason said to me actually one time. He's like, uh, oh, using is still an option. I was like, not today. You know, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's on the list. You know, it's down there, you know, according to what you're doing. You know, it might be down there around 13 or 14, but 
the more we miss the meetings that you was talking about and the more we stop calling our sponsor and all those things that we start to not do starts, you know, that, that using starts to creep up at list, you know, For sure. on eight or seven one day. And, and, they, yeah. well, and I mean, that motherfucker's patient too. Oh God. Yes. Oh my God. I mean, they're sitting in the corner doing pushups. So here's the <laughs> thing, you know, Mike's in the hospital, like, you know, he's, you know, intubated and, you know, he's having to do, you know, his thing. And, you know, he had to have some medication. And so he doesn't really know. He doesn't know, but I know, I know. And so I'm having to go home alone at two o'clock in the morning. And so that shit started fucking with me after a couple of weeks. And so like, I didn't realize it was going to fuck with me. And so you don't realize it's going to fuck with you until after you're worn down, you're beat down. And I mean, it doesn't matter like how long you've got clean or that you're doing the next right thing. Or like, I never, I, it came out of the fucking blue. Next thing I know, like I'm, I'm driving by, like I'm, I felt my car slow down and like, that's not me. Oh, but is little Amanda doing that shit? Little Amanda's still there. So it was scary. Yeah. And so like, I came home, called my people two o'clock in the morning. And I don't give a fuck. Cause that's what y'all <laughs> told me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the disease doesn't have a conscience either. It doesn't care what your circumstances are. It, it it's not look. It's not going to give you any sympathy. It's always there and always looking to attack. But I think what's interesting is which you know, based off what you shared, it's like you spent fifteen years building the network that you were going to need to lean on when times got hard. And uh, I think that's what's so important for all of us to keep showing up keep meeting new people keep finding you know building relationships because you never know when those are going to those are going to be the people that save your ass because life's right. going to show up for all of us eventually you know trav just had his episode you know um is that what you call it an episode well you're i mean <laughs> the the reality is he's lucky to be here you know absolutely God, yeah by the grace of god yeah he's very lucky to be here and you know when we all first heard the news and the way they described the incident you're like oh no this is this may be it you know and i know he felt yeah. that way um so but i think travis can attest to it too the people that he spent the last five years or so building those relationships with who showed up for him and, you know, in this time of need, not only him, but him and Stacy both. So. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's almost, it's overwhelming is what it is when something like that happens and you see people reaching out, uh, you know, because six years ago, I don't think I would have had probably two or three people that would have reached out and that's because they would have been family members and, That'd been about it. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also a testament to who we are today. That's yeah. because we, sh you show up in people's lives. We show up in people's lives today. That's it. Yeah. Mike shows up in people's lives today. It's because you matter today in people's lives. Name into that. All right. So, man, when you're having fun, time flies by. Uh, so before we get off here, you know, if you've listened before, you know that we always 
have our guests kind of share um, for those people that are out there struggling. Maybe they're going through a really hard time. Maybe it's the women who are just finding their way into the rooms and really can't relate to the other women or still feel like they're in competition or whatever it may be, whoever's struggling. Um, what do you got to say to those people, Amanda? Um, so in the basic textbook, um, one of the lines that I have uh, underlined in step six, I'm sorry, step seven is none of us is perfectly good or perfectly bad. We are people who have assets and liabilities, but most importantly, we are human. And so if I look at all the differences, um, man, we have them, whether it's our age or color, or, you know, uh, where we come from or anything like that. Um, but the similarities is uh, how we earned our seat in Narcotics Anonymous. And that similarity, that one thing is what's killing us. And so um, I don't want to die today. And I don't want you to die today. And I certainly don't want anybody that has to uh, like suffer four years being clean and miserable. So uh, I'm, it, you don't have to, to wait that long. So, um, man, get with some women that you see living the talk. So inside the rooms, they're saying one thing and outside the rooms, they're living that way. So if they say they have a man inside the room, but they're talking to a different man outside the room, go to a different woman. Mm -hmm. So um, like if they're talking about, you know, one thing inside the rooms, but they're still in when you go to the convenience store outside the room, go to a different woman. Now, not, that's not to say that the next time you meet up, they're not changing their ways because this is a program about change and we do change. And so I was one of those women that stole some shit. So um, we do change here and I have learned that. Um, so man, get with some people that are doing the damn thing. Get with some people that are doing service work because service work is where the magic happens. People that are given back to the program of Narcotics Anonymous. And that's where, you know, man, the mojo is, that's where it's at. So um, you're worthy. You're enough. And uh, I love you. Well, we love you too, Amanda, and we're extremely grateful that you did this. And um, we will be back next week with Tony P talking about step number eight. Tony P. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Travis, we're glad to have you back too, buddy. It's really good. It's really good back. to be back. Yeah. Um, so good to see your face. Thank you so much, Amanda. You yeah. too. All right. See y'all next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on our Living Clean podcast. This is another platform that we can share our message of recovery, which is an addict, any addict, can stop using drugs, lose a desire to use, and find a new way to live. Join that no matter what club. You can contact us through text. The number is 931-306-9364.